Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. 40 years ago, I joined the National Party as a six-year-old boy handing out for my father at the Chinchilla Courthouse as he tried to become the member for Condamine. I am all that is the National Party. I believe passionately in the National Party because we are all there is about regional rural Australia. We are the conscience of rural and regional Australia right here in this parliament. The National Party today starts its journey towards 2025 with a vibrant team ready to articulate the policies that are important to regional rural Australia, but also to draw on the experience of two former Deputy Prime Ministers in Barnaby Joyce and Michael McCormack to build that bridge of unity and purpose. Well, there we go. Another changing of the guard, uh, the face of Australian politics, certainly changing a lot in the last couple of weeks with the new government in. We now have two new leaders in opposition. First and foremost, Queensland MP David Littleproud, who you just heard, he emerged victorious from a three-way tussle for the National Party leadership, ousting former Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce. After a more than two-hour party room meeting yesterday in Canberra, Mr Littleproud secured the numbers in the room to win the leadership. He called it the proudest day of his professional life. New South Wales Senator Perrin Davey also won a three-way contest for the Deputy Nationals leadership position. Miss Davey said the new leadership team were the future of the Nationals and she said there would be a continued focus by the party on regional Australia. In a statement, the former Nationals leader Barnaby Joyce congratulated the new leadership team but warned they have a mighty task ahead of them He joked, I suppose you think I'm sad, not really. He said he has a chance now to get back to his second greatest love after his family, and that is his electorate of New England. Victorian MP Darren Chester also threw his hat into the leadership ring, but didn't garner enough support from his colleagues. Meanwhile, in the Senate, Victorian Bridget McKenzie has been re-elected Nationals leader in the Senate. Meanwhile, on a a cold, chilly but busy day in the nation's capital yesterday, former Defence Minister Peter Dutton was, of course, elected leader of the Liberals unopposed. The Queensland MP will be supported by former Environment Minister Susan Lee. She was also elected unopposed as the Deputy Leader of the Liberals. Uh, Former Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who was in Canberra yesterday, welcomed the new leadership team, describing them as enormously experienced and deeply committed to the cause of the country. He says he thinks they'll do an outstanding job and he looks forward to giving them his full support. Uh, ScoMo said the Liberal meeting was a good opportunity for him to thank his colleagues for their great loyalty and support over his time as leader and Prime Minister. He also thanked the Liberal MPs and Senators on behalf of former Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, who, of course, was able to unattend because he was booted out of his seat of Kuyong at the election. Anyway, ScoMo went on to say it was a great privilege to lead the Federal Parliamentary Liberal Party 
and he said he handed over to Peter and Susan and wished them all the very best. Now, yesterday, ahead of all of these meetings, particularly the uh, the Nationals meeting, Nationals MP Michelle Landry, whose seat of Capricornia takes in parts of central Queensland, said she believed the party had taken the Greens too lightly. She said yesterday, I think we really need to revisit our position on some of the key areas of policy and have good discussions with the Liberals on that. Because you can't have people running off with different agendas, she said. We all need to be on the same page. Now, Liberals who lost their inner city seats at the election have argued comments made by several nationals, including Senator Mac Canavan, arguing net zero emissions was dead, significantly hurt them in the campaign. Miss Landry said she was also keen to look at the women's look at the women's issues raised during the election, as she worried about the increasing number of Australian women in poverty. There's a new poor, she said, women over 50 who have been married and divorced. I will be really fighting for that. Meanwhile, Labor will hash out the final details of the Albanese government's front bench with ministers to be sworn in tomorrow. I'll get to the detail of that story for you right after this. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okie dokie, welcome back. Tuesday morning, little chilly where I am. How are you coping so far? Bloody cold. Well, it's winter, almost. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow there and a subscribe as well to our YouTube channel, Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, it's going to be a busy, busy 24 hours for new Prime Minister Anthony Albanese as he puts the finishing touches on his front bench. Uh, Ministers are expected to be sworn in sometime tomorrow. Now, key positions, including Treasury, Finance and Foreign Affairs, of course, are already locked in. Jim Chalmers, Katie Gallagher and Penny Wong, they were sworn in last week, but there are still several roles remaining unclear. Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles, well, he is expected to be given the defence portfolio, which will mean that previous shadow Defence Minister Brendan O'Connor will be without a role. Now, look, he could be made Home Affairs Minister, and that's given Christina Keneally lost her bid to move to the lower house in the seat of Fowler. Although, New South Wales frontbencher Jason Clare, who impressed greatly during the election campaign, has also been touted as an option for the important portfolio of Home Affairs. Environment will also have to be filled as Queensland MP Terry Butler lost her seat of Griffith to the Greens. Look, to be honest, I would really like to see junior MP and, uh, well, friend of the program, Julian Hill, get a crack there. I think he'd make a, a, a fantastic environment minister. Anyway, Labor's right faction in New South Wales is apparently also under pressure to put more women into senior roles with Senator Deb O'Neill, a contender for a promotion. Well, as far as the counting is concerned, can you believe they still haven't got a a final result? Labor is still just shy of a 76-seat majority, as the count in McNamara in Victoria and Gilmore in New South Wales continues, with Mr Albanese conceding the party would have to learn lessons as I mentioned yesterday, after its failed bid to parachute former New South Wales Premier Christina Keneally into the once-safe Western Sydney seat of Fowler. 
He said, of course, I think the lessons are very clear. The community has sent us a message. And I would argue he's, uh, the, the community's not only sent Labor a message, but, you know, polit- uh, politicians and parties right across the board. I don't think the, uh, you know, the populace of Australia will put up with um, candidates, no matter how good they are or how popular they are, being parachuted into seats that, you know, they live so far away from. All right, uh, another story that I found interesting yesterday, and thank you for your comments on the Facebook page. Gladys Berejiklian. We know she knocked back an approach from the former Prime Minister to run for the seat of Warringah, and her new job gagged her from campaigning despite pleas from the party. She's working for Optus. But New South Wales Liberals are already hoping to woo the former Premier back into the political scene in a few years' time, we're told. Amid party soul-searching into what went wrong at last week's federal election, multiple Liberal sources have apparently told their mates at the Daily Telegraph that they hope Miss Berejiklian could be convinced to run for the next poll in 2025. The next election is still three years away, This is a federal election, mind you, but Miss Berejiklian is already seen as the best possible candidate to win back the federal seat of North Sydney. It went to the Teals, of course. The former Premier is still awaiting findings of a corruption probe into whether she breached public trust or encouraged corrupt conduct during her secret relationship with disgraced former MP Darrell Maguire. So she still has a lot on her plate at the moment. As we know, um, the former New South Wales Premier denies any wrongdoing and the Independent Commission Against Corruption has not yet delivered its findings. But there is a view among Liberals that Miss Berejiklian's public image would survive even if the Independent Commission Against Corruption delivers an adverse finding against her. Really? Yeah, well, I suppose when you're desperate... I guess. Look, thank you for all your comments in relation to that. Many that I can't broadcast, but um, people are still upset and angered by Gladys Berejiklian. Josh writes, Marcus, are they seriously that devoid of talent that they have to go back to a person who who is still under a corruption investigation? Uh, James says, we should have a federal independent commission against corruption by then. And Gladys, I'm sorry, is damaged goods. Um, Trevor says there'll be more of them under investigation for corruption by this time next year. Well, I guess we'll wait and see. And this one from Andrew Porter who wrote, Marcus, I said it on election night. Scott Morrison will stay in Cook for another 18 months, retire, and then Gladys Berejiklian will run. They will then elect her as the leader They funnily believe people like her. Well, I think people do. Some people do. All right, Marcus Paul in the morning. If you want want to comment on the Gladys story, you certainly can on the Facebook page. It's still up there. Great to have you company. Okay, good to have your company on this Wednesday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, university students studying teaching degrees will be sent into classrooms to earn and learn on the job, like an apprentice, plumber or builder. This is under a plan being put forward by the nation's Christian school body. 
Australian Association of Christian Schools Chief Vanessa Chang said the move was in response to the national shortage of teachers and aimed to get more staff in the pipeline. She said yesterday the national teacher shortage is being felt across all school sectors, whether that be state, private or Christian. She went on to say, we believe a a wide-scale rollout of this program will help curb the growing rates of teacher attrition across the country and ensure the next generation of teachers will be well-equipped and supported as they pursue a career in education to make a positive contribution in the lives of kids and our nature's future. Now, the wide-scale rollout will attempt to replicate the success of an apprentice teacher program operating over the past four years in St Philip's Christian Colleges located in Newcastle, the Hunter, Port Stephens and the Central Coast. Now, that program started with 12 university students and now includes 40 apprentice students working in schools while enrolled in education degrees. St Philip's Christian Education Foundation boss Graham Irwin said it meant prospective teachers discovered immediately if they are on the right career path. He said, we find out if they're really cut out for it in the first few weeks because you can't fake it. You're with real teachers in real school situations. You either love it or you hate it. We've had a few people say it's not for me. Look, apprentices, this is how it works. Apprentices are assigned a mentor teacher who was then instructed on how to guide the university student. We train the mentor teachers in how to integrate what the students are learning at university into their lessons. It's very intentional. They have to understand what their responsibilities are to their class and the syllabus outcomes. One of the added benefits was helping the schools to secure requisite number of staff. This is a long-term attempt, they say, to overcome those supply problems of teachers. Beth Naus began the program four years ago and has now secured a job at St Philip's Christian College at Waratah as a primary school teacher. Now, Beth said the program, which saw her in the classroom two days a week while studying, was beneficial because academic content she learned at uni could immediately be put into practice. Miss Now said the program offered a lower pressure environment than doing additional practical placements as part of her university course. Early in her placement, when she devised a lesson plan, her mentor gently gave her some frank advice. She said, I was told you probably got about four lessons in that one lesson plan. Just relax and space it out a bit. <laughs> Miss Now said it was also beneficial because it clarified a lot of things that are never explicitly mentioned during her uh, university lectures. Anyway, she says she's experiencing the ebbs and flows of a school year, how to start a year, how to go through report systems. She's learning how to look at school assessments, school photo day, all the rest of it. It means she'll have way less surprises, according to her, when she gets her first class after completing her degree. Well, I think this is a good idea certainly has merit. So this Christian Colleges program letting teacher students learn and earn on the job. Maybe this is something that can be rolled out across the public sector as well. What do you say? Let me know on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. I've held a marginal seat for two decades and I know how to work with people 
and how to achieve outcomes for local communities. I know how to campaign. I've been the Assistant Treasurer to Peter Costello and held ministries in the Howard, Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison governments. I've served on the National Security Committee and the Expenditure Review Committee and the Leadership Group in two governments. My greatest honour was to represent the men and women of the Australian Defence Force, the Australian Signals Directorate, the Australian Cyber Security Centre, the Australian Federal Police, ASIO, the Australian Border Force and Austrac. And I grew up in a working class suburb with two loving parents who were hardworking, small business people. My parents worked hard for every dollar and we weren't financially well off. I started part-time work in a butcher, in a butcher shop after school and until I started university. I saved and bought a house at 19 and built a business from nothing to ultimately employ 40 people. I was a police officer for 10 years and I've dedicated my working life to public service and I'm passionate about the protection of children and women, particularly the protection against sexual assault and harassment. I owe everything, of course, to my family, to my friends, to my community, and of course, the Liberal Party and my colleagues for the incredible honour to be standing here with you today. As Prime Minister, you need strength of character and a relentless resolve to see our country through the good and the bad times. They are among the character traits that I bring to this job. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the program, of course, Peter Dutton is the new leader of the Liberal Party after a party room vote yesterday with former Environment Minister Susan Lee elected as deputy. Mr Dutton, of course, had been all but confirmed as the next opposition leader as he was the only person really put his hand up for the job. He replaces Scott Morrison, who resigned from the position after the coalition's election defeat, of course. Uh, now, both Peter Dutton and Susan Lee were elected unopposed for their positions. And yesterday, Mr Dutton reiterated the Liberal Party under his leadership would not be Labor light and would be true to its values. He said yesterday our policies will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across Australia. He said he wants our country to support aspiration and award hard work, take proper care of those Australians who short-term or long-term can't take care of themselves. Now, he did say his shadow front bench would be unveiled later this week. Now, interestingly... Peter Dutton was asked whether he would work with the Labor government on establishing an Indigenous voice to Parliament, given he walked out on Kevin Rudd's apology to the stolen generations back in 2008. Remember that? Now, Mr Dutton said he made a mistake when he boycotted the apology. He said, largely, that was because of my own background and experience. I worked in Townsville. I remember going to many domestic violence incidents. Uh, particularly in Indigenous communities. He said, at the time, I believe the apology should be given when the problems were resolved and the problems weren't resolved. Now, Miss Lee said it was a great honour to serve as deputy and that she believed Mr Dutton was absolutely the best person to lead the party. She said, as well as being a strong advocate for regional and rural Australia, she would continue to be a strong voice for women. We know that we don't receive the support of all women. At, uh, we didn't receive, rather, the support of all women at the last election. Well, she's right about that. And she said, my message to the women of Australia is, we hear you. Well, I'm glad you do, Susan, because 
I don't think the former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, heard a damn thing. She goes on to say, um, we know that we didn't receive the support of all women at the last election and we are listening now. Well, better late than never. We're talking, Miss Lee said, and we're determined to earn back your trust and your faith. Now, she was asked if the Liberal Party was listening to the feedback from the election. Why, both Conservative parties had again elected men as leaders. Ooh. Well, Miss Lee said, I mean, we've got to think about it. The Nationals dumped Barnaby Joyce for David Littleproud. Uh, Perrin Davey, of course, is the party's new deputy leader. Now, Miss Lee said there were many women in leadership positions across the parliament. Look, that is true, but they're not in the key leadership positions. Do you think it's time? Or, I don't know, maybe not for the Liberals. Would Susan Lee have made a better choice, given what happened in the last election, would Susan Lee have made a better choice for the Liberals to elect as leader? Um, I suspect that Peter Dutton's ego probably wouldn't have allowed that. Anyway, she goes on to say she's comfortable with the leadership of our party and very comfortable with Peter Dutton in the role. Now, Peter Dutton is undergoing a uh, change, if you like, in his personality. I mean, he's a hard-line conservative. We know that. Within the Liberal Party, a hard-ass, hard-on-border uh, control, hard in a number of areas. And look, that's probably to his credit, to some extent, having been a former serving police officer. Anyway, Mr Dutton has sought to recast his image ahead of the vote today and becoming opposition leader. It's going to be a tough sell for him, as I said on the program earlier this week or last week. Anyway, he said he wanted the people to see his entire person, whatever that means. He's arguing his image up to now was partly shaped by the portfolios he'd had, such as Home Affairs and Defence. The opposition leader said as Home Affairs Minister, he cancelled visas of just over 6,000 criminals, including people found guilty of sexual offences against women and children. It's pretty hard to break into a smile when you're making that announcement. To show a softer side or a different side to your character. Well, that's true. Uh, in fairness, that is true. He went on to say, All I would say is I'm not going to change, but I want people to see the entire person that I am and reserve and make their own judgment, judgments when they meet me. All right, well, the 51-year-old hardhead has been at the centre of his fair share of controversies during um, his, what is it, two decades or so in Parliament. Uh, we remember back to 2015 when he was caught on a hot mic, a boom mic, above his head making a joke about water lapping at the door of Pacific Island nations because of climate change. The next year, he made inflammatory remarks about refugees' literacy levels. He was the only, he was also the only opposition frontbencher back in 2008 to boycott then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd's apology to the stolen generations. He personally voted no and encouraged people to do the same on same-sex marriage back in 2017. But ultimately, he voted in favour of same-sex marriage in Parliament after majority support for it was made clear by the postal votes. Anyway, like I say, I, just, I think there's a tough sell ahead 
for Peter Dutton. Here is a little of what he had to say. Okay, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Um, Some sad news out of Sydney overnight. Uh, Police were looking for a young woman, only aged 18, who went missing around a month ago. Well, they've discovered a body and uh, it was found in a creek at Canley Vale in Sydney southwest. They believe it's Myrna Kasher, beautiful young lady who had not been seen since a relative dropped her off in Fairfield Heights at around 8 o'clock on Thursday, April the 28th. In the days that followed, Miss Kasher is believed to have been in contact with her relatives but was not heard from again. Unfortunately, uh, the grim discovery of her body was made at Green Valley Creek at Canley Heights over the weekend. Police investigating her disappearance attended. They set up a crime scene and that's been forensically examined. But the death is not believed to be suspicious. In a statement, New South Wales Police said the body is yet to be formally identified, but it is believed to be that of a woman reported missing from the Fairfield area. Detectives started an investigation into the circumstances surrounding the woman's death, and while a post-mortem will be conducted to confirm her identity and determine the cause of death. Now, anyone who has any information about this incident is urged to contact Crime Stoppers. As always, that telephone number, one 333 Now, because at this stage police believe uh, there's no foul play, no suspicious circumstances, um, it's timely that I remind you uh, that you don't need to do it alone and you can reach out for help. Lifeline, do a magnificent job. one or 13 11 14 is their telephone number, or go to lifeline.org.au. The number for Beyond Blue, 1300 4636 or beyondblue.org.au. The Kids Helpline is always there as well, kidshelpline.com.au, and Headspace, you can call them if you need to talk to somebody and you're young, that number, one 800 650-890. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back. Gee, it's chilly this morning. Uh, must have something to do with that Antarctic blast we're copping. Um, wet, windy and bloody cold. Look, you know winters here when we have snow dust falling, uh, you know, in areas like the Blue Mountains, out in the Central West, Southern Tablelands. You also know it's, of course, winter when you have whales frolicking in the surf off Bondi. It's all happening. You having breakfast at the moment? Well, I, uh, I found out yesterday that there's a new limited edition bread that's for sale in major supermarkets, Coles and Woolies, and shoppers are losing their minds. I might have to try a bit of this myself. Not that I'm, you know, giving a gratuitous plug to this delectable new limited edition bread. <laughs> shoppers apparently are loving it. What it's called is a scone loaf. Or do we say scone? No, scone. 
Much to the delight of Coles and Woolies customers, Golden Bakery recently released the all-new Scone Loaf, which landed in stores just a few weeks ago. The loaf is scone-inspired and includes 20 thickly cut slices and has been described as deliciously crunchy on the outside when toasted. I might have to try it out, hey? I love scones, and I normally would have a, just a little bit... No, I'm lying. I'd have a stack load of cream on top of it. And maybe a little bit of um, strawberry jam, yes. For added flavour, you can top it with jam and cream, as someone on TikTok <laughs> described. <laughs> Look what I found at the supermarket. She began the clip showing footage of the new item at a local coal store. And she, this one said we should heat them up, toast them and serve them with jam and cream. Anyway, um, apparently the TikTok's gone nuts. Her clip has attracted more than 60,000 views, with many in the comments keen to give it a go. Well, I think I might have to. Scone loaf, apparently, is uh, for sale in our major supermarkets for $5.50, so it's not cheap. Mind you, it'd fill you up, wouldn't it? Um, The Grocery Geek AU, they posted the new release on their Facebook page that I had a look at, and they've described this scone loaf as slightly sweet. Toast a slice and top it with jam and cream or anything you like. For a freshly baked scone experience, you can simply eat it straight from the pack. There we go. The new flavour comes after the success of Golden's Cinnamon Donut Loaf last year and also their Crumpet Toast. Now, I tried the Cinnamon Donut Loaf. I like that. Wasn't too keen on the Crumpet Toast. I mean, for goodness sake, let crumpets be crumpets. That's what I would have thought. Anyway, uh, all the big stories here. Oh, well, we've got to do some light stuff and some great stuff. Uh, food-wise every now and then, hey? All right, Marcus Paul in the morning. If you would like to comment on our Facebook page, please do so. There'll be more content up there today. And, of course, you can always call our hotline anytime you like, 0406521250. I'm hungry now. I've been talking about that. uh... (laughs) I just looked at the video. Hang on, what's this video? Ooh, a couple have been busted having sex while attending a bar mitzvah on zoom wow i'll talk about this a couple who zoomed into services at a synagogue hosting a bar mitzvah in the u.s forgot to turn off their camera while they were doing the deed they weren't young either the middle at well they're middle-aged they're from minneapolis they were filmed canoodling in full view of congregants in minneapolis who were subjected to the Softcore sideshow for nearly an hour. Crikey. Well, it went on for about 45 minutes, said one person who saw the video and requested to, to remain anonymous. She was walking around naked. She got dressed. She's in and out of the Zoom. He was in bed. He whipped it out. She started going to work. Someone on Zoom saw and called her and was like, What are you doing? You're on camera. And then she realised... She freaked out. The person explained it was a Zoom for a bar mitzvah. Most people were not on camera except like the old bubbles who don't know how to turn off their camera. And these two people, so the boxes were pretty big and everyone 
could see who was on camera. Oh dear, oh dear. The unnamed couple appears to have fallen victim to the uniquely pandemic-era problem of accidentally leaving your Zoom camera on before engaging in private behaviour. Apparently, it's known informally online as pulling a tubin. Really? The incident, of course, is named for the CNN legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin, who began pleasuring himself... What? He began pleasuring himself on a live Zoom call with staff for the New Yorker in October of 2020. The magazine fired him, but CNN allowed him to return to the air after a brief suspension. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. So, uh, look, be honest. Um, I, I don't really use Zoom or all that sort of stuff too much, but surely there's someone out there that can send me a message. You can be anonymous and let me know. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au have you, have you ever left your camera on? Well, accidentally. Or maybe on purpose, I don't know. Welcome back on this Tuesday morning. You don't need me to tell you it's been wet. As I've mentioned, uh, well, numerous times, we've had the wettest year so far on record. Um, and we're just halfway through the year. But with the rain, and sadly with uh, some of the floods, comes mould. And apparently, according to reports, mould is spreading through New South Wales and Queensland homes like never before. It's a lingering effect from one of the wettest years on record, and it's causing severe headaches for many Australians who are at the wits' end trying to keep their homes safe. Not only is mould unsightly and can be smelly, but it can be bloody dangerous and deadly. Anyway, thousands of Australian households are contending with this disgusting problem that's getting worse by the day. Perpetual damp from wet weather that has soaked huge portions of the country has left Australians with the impossible task of keeping their homes clear of mould. Families have even turned online uh, to forums in desperate attempts to find a solution as the problem leads to shortages in dehumidifiers and mould absorbers across northern New South Wales in particular and some southern parts of Queensland. Frustrated parents in one Facebook group said they had taken a variety of measures to try and fix the problem, but sadly their attempts had been in vain. A mum in Newcastle wrote, I personally have already had my home professionally cleaned by a mould cleaning company used many a chemical including exit mold i've even tried the white vinegar i was about to say vinegar that works doesn't it and have about 20 of the moisture absorbers throughout the house with all also circulating fresh air each day and she's got some photographs up and geez talk about your mold Dozens of residents in Byron Bay have also expressed similar concerns, with many saying the problem had gotten out of hand and made them sick. A desperate mum wrote, I'm desperately looking for a mould specialist to assess the current situation in our house. My son has a terrible cough and has so for weeks now, and I have a bad allergy. I can't sleep at night. Um, another said the issue in their home had become so severe that they couldn't keep on top of it anymore and they were hoping for some professional help. It can be everywhere, mostly in invisible places. Be careful, it may be very sick, someone else wrote. 
Yeah, look, families have been similarly affected in Queensland, with homes also becoming inundated with black mould, a particularly dangerous fungi that can have serious health implications. Yeah, there's black mould developing around the walls and ceiling of our bathroom. It's poorly ventilated, so who's responsible? Rope one resident. There is only a small window which is always open. We requested an exhaust fan when we moved in and they said no. One woman shared in the group. Black mould breeds when humidity is at over 70% with access to an adequate food source like drywall, oxygen and temperatures between 4 and 39 degrees. Now people exposed to mould can experience a host of painful symptoms including coughing, post-nasal drip, sneezing, dry, scaly skin, itchy eyes, nose or throat and nasal congestion. Now it's even worse for asthma sufferers. Mould could in fact trigger an attack in the form of wheezing, shortness of breath, coughing or even chest tightness. I guess the million dollar question is, how the hell do you get rid of it? That's mould. A common and effective way to remove mould from an infested home is by taking undiluted vinegar in a spray bottle to the spots where the fungus has grown. After saturating the problem areas, the vinegar should be left for at least an hour before being wiped away. If some mould remains, the process can be repeated a few times over and combined with a follow-up scrub of one teaspoon of baking soda and two cups of water. But of course, the best defence, you know, uh, prevention is the best cure always, but if it's possible, the best defence against mould is to maintain a dry home, which may need to be regularly opened to fresh air. Uh, dehumidifiers, well, they can also help avoid the growth of mould by preventing the build-up of dampness. Uh, have you dealt with a mould issue? I'd love to hear from you. Let me know about it. 0406521250, or you can comment on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, hello there. It's Tuesday morning. 0406521250 is the hotline. Please give us a, a follow on Facebook and a subscribe on our YouTube channel, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, this next story may be a little worrying if you're about to fly somewhere today, but it's a, a story that dropped late last night. Passengers on board a Qantas flight from Sydney to Tamworth were told to brace as, quote, the flight may not make it to the tarmac. Well, and I, I even was told that passengers on this plane that was forced back to Sydney sent final goodbye messages to loved ones after being told their flight might not end up on the runway and to brace for impact. Wow. Imagine that, having to, well, be placed in that situation and send a, a, a farewell message to your family, to your loved one, to your husband, to your wife, to your boyfriend, to your girlfriend. Crazy. Awful. And imagine being at home and receiving one of those messages. You'd be beside yourself. Anyway, the story is the Qantas flight due to land in Tamworth on Sunday night left those on board shaken after their aircraft was forced to make an emergency landing at Sydney Airport due to complications with the hydraulics. The flight QF2, 
008, flying from Tamworth, uh, Sydney to Tamworth. Uh, one of the passengers, Jesse, said he was highly anxious and nervous on board the little turboprop plane. It's one of those um, Dash 8 planes. He believed would be a fair description for most of the cabin. They were all anxious and nervous. Why? Yeah. Anyway, panic first kicked in. Oh, here's why. Panic first kicked in for Jesse when the pilot told passengers they were experiencing technical issues and may have to divert to Sydney as the aircraft was flying in a holding pattern around Tamworth Airport. The panic was fully exacerbated when they advised they would be doing an emergency landing and we may or may not end up on the tarmac. This is according to the passenger Jesse, who also said passengers then sent messages to their loved ones. Jesse told news.com.au, I was literally expecting to belly dump without landing gear at Sydney Airport, so I'd sent out a couple of last messages to people. The lady beside me had done the same. He went on to say, I'm pretty disappointed at Qantas around the whole thing, but particularly in flight. With the little information, there wasn't a lot to feel positive about. The second officer was fairly reassuring and did a much better job than the pilot in her communication. She apparently, according to Jesse, she was attempting to be more reassuring than the captain and had advised that we would be landing on the longest runway in Australia and that the weather was perfect in Sydney. She reiterated that we were having problems with hydraulic fluids and advised that we may or may not end up on the runway after landing. And Jesse went on to say that the crew looked very worried at this stage, as were many passengers. Jesse went on. We were shown the emergency procedure and then went into land. There was no braking applied on landing and we were all bracing for impact as the crew yelled out, brace, brace, brace. Well, that would have been enough to scare the you-know-what out of me. The plane landed around 9.30 at night and after all of it, it was a pretty good landing. We rolled to a standstill, full emergency crews came around the plane when it landed and we stayed on the tarmac for around 15 minutes before disembarking. During that time, the pilot came out and apparently explained to passengers that the hydraulic fluids had bled out, which affects a lot of systems on the aircraft. In a statement, a Qantaslink spokeswoman told the Daily Telegraph, on Sunday evening, a Sydney to Tamworth flight returned to Sydney after pilots received an alert in the cockpit about a potential issue with the hydraulics. Our pilots and crew followed the standard procedures and the flight landed safety and without incident at Sydney Airport. QantasLink engineers were inspecting the aircraft yesterday and apparently it's understood the passengers were compensated. They were provided with accommodation and meals and were flown to Tamworth last night. Okay, that's all well and good, but how scared would you be? Uh, I'd be freaking out. I'm sorry if you're hopping on a plane today. Look, we do, here in Australia, of course, we do have the uh, the best safety record of, uh, of any nation. Our safety record is second to none. Anyway, uh, you do have to feel for those people, as I say, that were on the aircraft, and in particular, those who were receiving the messages back at home. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Okay, welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, while the United States deals with yet another mass shooting tragedy and the debate hots up again before it cools down again over gun control and how much power the NRA have in the United States, back here in New South Wales, police are set to destroy more than three tonnes of firearms this month alone. The haul of some 2,809 guns, uh, slightly over 3,200 kilograms, was seized and gathered across the state through criminal investigations, located as abandoned property and voluntarily surrendered within the community in uh, around about a 12-month period. Uh, Pistols, rifles, shotguns, military firearms, homemade firearms... Airsoft, gel blasters, air pistols and air rifles are all among the weapons that will be melted down into steel and produced into other items. Yeah, it's the best thing for guns, recycling them, in my opinion. Deputy Premier and Police Minister Paul Toole was pleased to announce the removal. They are going to the scrap heap, he said as he showed media around uh, the, the hall of guns yesterday. They will be firearms that will no longer be in people's households. They are firearms that are no longer going to be out there on our streets. Look, several of the weapons were seized through our police operations, including an impressive 84 firearm haul from Strike Force Hawk and another four guns confiscated by Strike Force Erebus. Police Commissioner Karen Webb was also on hand and she noticed a recent increase of firearms on the streets and vowed to continue to confiscate and continue these operations. Uh, The Commissioner Webb said yesterday, we've noticed particularly in May, there's been an increase in firearms seized or surrendered. But as the Minister said, we will be working forward, continuing to take firearms off the street in whatever way we can to take illegal firearms out of circulation and out of the hands of criminals. Seized weapons are sent to the New South Wales Weapons and Ordnance Disposal Unit. See, I didn't know we had a unit. Well, I mean, obviously we do. I knew someone had to take care of them. But there is a New South Wales Police Weapons and Ordnance Disposal Unit. They were audited and they were then processed for destruction. Now, after the firearms are destroyed, the recycled materials can be used in industries such as construction. So, well, that is good. I mean, like I say, the best gun is a recycled gun into a tin can or something. Anyway, it comes just a week after 18-year-old Texas gunman Salvador Ramos executed those poor 19 children and two teachers at Robb Elementary School. And as I say, um, the gun debate in America continues to hot up. I do worry, though, that they will never learn their lesson. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, that about wraps it up for us today. Thank you for your company. Right around Australia here on Starter FM, the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and maybe you're listening to the broadcast, the podcast. If you are, please give it a share on your social media for us. I'd really appreciate it. Um, Follow us on YouTube as well. We'll have another video or two up there a little later and some more content for you to comment on on the Facebook page. 
Enjoy the remains of the day. Uh, please, if you can, support us, support independent media here in Australia uh, by clicking on our GoFundMe page. And maybe if you haven't already, and I do appreciate all of those who have, uh, please donate just a little bit so that we can stay on top of our game and uh, remain an independent voice in the media landscape. Okay, well, what's going to be happening for the rest of today? <laughs> the weather is certainly going to be ugly in some parts. Please be careful. Drive to the conditions if you are travelling and rug up. Take care. We'll be back tomorrow. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Let your friends play. Let your friends play. Let your friends play. Let your friends play. Let your friends play.